Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. It is Thursday. Is it November 19th in America, Matt Penny? It is. Your, your hesitancy to announce the time, date, and score lets you know how long your your night and days have gone. Yeah, I woke up at four o'clock yesterday morning and didn't get to didn't like stop working until I want to say it was like eleven eleven fifteen or so. So nineteen hour days will do that. But we're here. We're ready to talk about the NBA draft that happened. Uh, what I, I guess about. 17 hours ago at this stage, right? Something like that. Yeah. I don't know the Australian conversion rate, but that sounds correct. Yeah. I don't either. Like I have all of my computer time and dates scheduled for Pacific time still so that I know when I can call people, right? Like I can do those conversions in my head easier than I can do 17 hour conversions. So <laughs> it's pretty good. I, I always wake up and look at my phone. If, if I have to like send you something I'm like, ah, it's 2 a.m. I should wait a few hours. Right? It's hard. It's it's hard. Like yeah. you can send it, but I just won't get back to you for five hours potentially. Yeah. And and I'm sure you're jacked up on caffeine and Red Bull or whatever it is right now to get you through the next few hours too. You know what? I was really proud of myself yesterday. I only had two cups of coffee throughout the entire wow. day. Which so is four AM. The four AM wake up must have meant it was more like Christmas morning excitement than a job. An oh no. tweet. That's that's the point where I needed coffee was was the 4 a.m. wake up. And then I had that's another fair. one yeah. at like 10 a.m. And then I went from, you know, I went a good 12 hours. It was like, OK, I think I'm good now. Uh, this is uh, it was the adrenaline of having to do 95 different things during the draft, including live blogging with a good friend of the program, John Hollinger. And what a what a fun little live blog when Vic Krejci went off the board at 38 and neither of us had Vic Krejci in our big board. John's went to 70. Mine went to 100. I think that was the moment where it officially went off the rails for us. Either that it's, or it's when Nick Richards got yeah. picked. It's like when you're in college and you have a final and the professor says you get one page you can bring in as kind of like a cheat sheet. Yeah. When you have 102,000 words and a, a big board of 100 guys and they're not on that, you're in trouble. Yeah. And Vic Krejci probably would have been on that board had he not torn his ACL in September. So like I knew, like I've seen Vic Krejci play. I know what he can do, but that was, that was the moment where I think we just went, Oh, this is going to be this kind of second round now. And before we get into the second round, I think we should start at the top with just what was your biggest takeaway from yesterday? Because obviously it's not going to be Sam Merrill going 60th. I would imagine it's going to be something that happened near the top of the draft or something that happened with trades. What was the thing that you'll remember yesterday's NBA draft for most? There was a smaller trades, but it wasn't really that blockbuster that had built up. And we, we followed it all week. Oh, sources say that this mega team is going to go here and there and just it didn't come to fruition. So for me, I muted notifications for the guys that do a good job, but tweet the picks early. So I was watching in real time 
when guys got drafted. And there was a few times when I audibly yelled out loud at the picks because I was as surprised as I guess the audience. So it's been well documented the fit for James Wiseman at two. I guess my takeaway or my surprise was the run of bigs in the first round, especially the lottery with Jalen Smith, 10th to Phoenix. I yelled because I was like, I did not see that coming, especially the pairing with Aiton. Isaiah Stewart, I really like a lot. We talked about that the first time I was on the podcast. I, I liked his value in the 20s. I was surprised that he went 16th to Detroit. Zeke Naji, 22nd. Yudoka uh, Azubuki to Utah. So those were kind of, and then it, it, it rolled over to the second round as well. So for your article today, this morning, or whatever time it is in Australia, you noted that 12 of the first 35 picks in the draft were bigs. Our, our also friend of the program you worked with last night, John Hollinger, he said technically nine and didn't count Precious as a 10th. The whole entire 2019 draft, there's only 11 bigs taken. So I was just surprised with the, the recency bias, with playing in the bubble, with everybody talking about switching more mobile, versatile bigs that we kind of, the NBA reverted back a little bit to what it was in yesteryear. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I was stunned by that. That was legitimately surprising to me because I kind of thought that even though this was a bigs heavy draft, right? Like we can, we can say that there were a lot of interesting, talented big men that entered this year's draft. You mentioned a few of them, Isaiah Stewart, Precious Chua, um, you know, certainly, uh, James Wiseman at the top. Alexei Pukashevsky is another one, right? Like, there were bigs all over the place in this class. And on some level, I understand going where the talent takes you. There are teams out there that just genuinely believe that if you get any NBA player after pick 20, you've probably done pretty well. And I just kind of think that that's the wrong way to think about it. Even if you get a center who is a 10-year NBA player, I just don't if he's not going to be able to make an impact in the playoffs, what does it matter? Why would you not rather have a 30% chance at Josh Green, for instance, being a legitimate three and D wing because he learns how to shoot threes at a 38% clip versus Yudoka Azabuke, who I just don't see a world where that guy can ever play more than five to 10 minutes in a playoff game. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know if that was a counter to when they played Denver and match up big for big uh, again, just to borrow from Hollinger. He had a, a good quote that I pulled draft small forwards first shooting guards second and centers last. Yeah, I agree. And I just like, I, I, again, we, we've, we've beat it over the head. We've talked about the switching stuff and, and precious and, and Robert Woodard, and I guess I was just I was ultimately just surprised that it, it shook, shook out the way that it did. Positional value and positional scarcity matter. And for instance, Denver has a need on the wing. Like they need someone who can come in and knock down shots and defend multiple positions. I'm so confused. I guess I'm not confused because I know that they think Zeke Naji has more defensive upside than I do, and maybe they'll be proven right on that. <laughs> right. But I'm very I you con- you personally. Like, yeah, he might he might be a little bit more athletic than you. I didn't realize you meant your view of him. Can confirm Zeke Naji is more athletic than I am. I am okay. reasonably sure of that. Now 
if you're Denver, why are you not looking at someone like Desmond Bain there? Desmond Bain shot 40% from three every year in college. He shot something like, or he passed off. I'm sorry. I'm just laughing at the fact that Tillman Fertitta retweeted Bobby Marks talking about, uh, Golden State's luxury tax bill, which is one of the like funniest things I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Idiots. Good luck with the bill. Yeah. Till- Tillman Fertitta. Oh my God. So- sorry. I, I, I Perkins pronounce his name. I got, I got that wrong. It's Tillman Fertitta. Yeah. There you go. Tillman Fertito, uh, we'll get to Houston at some point because what a disaster that was. But I don't understand why Denver wouldn't look at someone like Desmond Bain who can come in, knock down shots, can play versatile defense. Even someone like Dylan Brooks. Let's say he's Dylan Brooks, right? Who he went to Memphis and that seems like a reasonable approximation, right? Even say he's someone like Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks is more valuable than 75% of the bigs in the NBA. Well, I thought it was funny because the Grizzlies ended up with Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman. So I, I jokingly said, is that like the Sam's club team this year? Like that's a team like you drafted for. I was going to ask if like you yeah. drafted for the Grizzlies because those are like your guys. It was funny. The Denver good, thing. Good friend of the program, Cole Zwicker, had to tweet out, I do not work for Memphis because Cole <laughs> and I, as many listeners of the show know, uh, think very similarly on draft picks. Cole tends to be a bit more extreme than I do. Uh, but in general, we tend to think pretty similarly on what matters in the NBA. He was like, I do not work for Memphis. This is, this is not a thing that's happening. <laughs> yeah. It was almost like the internet drafted for those two picks because those guys are both very good, but it's also the two buzzier names that people like really liked late first, early second. And they, they had a good haul for well, Denver. Well, think, I'm sorry. One, one last thing on Memphis because I don't know if we'll get to them again. Memphis sure. started this draft with only pick number 40. They spent, I think, two or three, I think it was three additional second round picks to go get Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman. And then on top of it, they went and signed Killian Tilly as a two-way guy after the draft ended. The Memphis Grizzlies got three of my top 40 players, despite entering the draft with only pick 40 and only having to spend three second round picks of varying value Uh within the draft they did exceptionally well last night they did absolutely exceptionally well with what they had at their disposal you're giving more evidence to like you actually made these picks but we'll we'll transition (laughs) back to the nuggets so for the nuggets you take zeke Naji, but they did get rj hampton via trade two picks later so maybe that's a little bit more of their combo guard wingish answer where they're really high on on Naji. they looked at the board they saw rj still there didn't necessarily know what the interest level would be for maybe a, I think the Knicks were right there in the middle between those two picks. Other wings, I mean, uh, who did you think they would necessarily pass on that they should have taken? Like a Jaden McDaniels type? I mean, I know you mentioned Desmond Bain. Like, what other guys on the board do you think would have made a little bit more sense? Yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to get past Desmond Bain there. I would have probably, look, Robert Woodard is a guy that people have differing thought processes on if only because especially for denver he is a like three four hybrid whenever they're probably going to re-sign jeremy grant and they already have michael porter jr right his defensive ability though at six foot seven with a seven foot two wingspan is real that dude can slide his feet like crazy i probably would have just taken him and just said hey like i would have taken him over zeke Naji for sure and that's 
like I feel like this is now shit on Zeke Naji moment. Like Zeke Naji is probably no, going to play in the NBA. Good. He's probably going to play in the NBA for a decade. But like, at what level is he going to play in the NBA? Is he going to be a backup center? Is he going to be a four man? Is is Jalen Smith like? Let's move to Jalen Smith. Maybe like, do we think Jalen Smith can play with DeAndre Ayton right now? And the jumper has to be, to me, like really, really deadly, really on in order for that to happen. I have concerns about the perimeter defense. I mean, they'll, they'll protect the rim pretty well. I have confidence in that, but just who is guarding fours? That, that's what it is to me. People really love his jump shot, his mechanics, his activity level. We talked about here. He is stiff, can play straight up at times. What can he really develop into? And again, people have said, okay, it's, I mean, is that a backup at 10? Like, I don't think they're drafting a backup at 10. So they must envision Aiton, Smith running with Booker and Chris Paul. Uh, I don't know. I just was another one that it made sense with Chris Paul there. It made sense. Why not take Tyrese Halliburton and have him right there? It's on the board, even Vassell. But I mean, Jalen Smith's their guy. They went all the way through with it. And that's who they ended up with. Yeah, look, I probably would have taken Devin Vassell there. Uh, I would have strongly considered Tyrese Halliburton for sure, because I think Halliburton can play with both Chris Paul and Devin Booker as a backup. Like you can stagger your lineups. It creates more potential to create interesting staggers in the lineups. Uh you know, Vassell's just a monster defender and pairing him with Mikael Bridges seems incredibly fun. And it seems like with between those two and Chris Paul that nobody would really have a chance to score often on them. Uh, it's, it just eludes me though to go with Jalen Smith and look like I talked to now three teams that had Jalen Smith. I will say in, they said in the same range, for instance, as where Phoenix had him and that they loved his upside. They loved everything that he could bring to the table as a stretch four, not really as a five. Right, exactly. And when I brought up the flexibility concerns and the stiffness and the lateral quickness and the fact that he's like a load lateral athlete, like he's a quick jumper off of two feet, but he really has to get moving off of one because he doesn't have a crazy amount of lower body strength right now. They would just be like, yeah, we think trainers can fix that. And trainers are great nowadays. It's possible that trainers could fix that. I think it's plausible. It seems like an incredible risk to take at number 10 to bet on your trainers, just like automatically fixing a guy that has incredibly stiff hips and like can't flip his hips or drop his hips right now. Or if that's just the best player available and that was the guy on the board, then then great. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not an anti Jalen Smith guy by any means. I like him. I just, it was a little bit at the time, like surprising. And I mean, I was would you, t- would you top- have taken him in the first round? First round. Yeah, for sure. Top 10 again with the guys on the board. I, I Halliburton slipping that, that far and Vassell that far. I, I'd probably go with one of those guys first. Yeah. But I was talking with a, a friend earlier today and I just said, yeah, I, I keep just getting drawn back to the bubble. It's like, <laughs> it's my rose, but I, I can't like escape it. But the bigs in the bubble, guys who struggled defensively, Porzingis, Montrez, Myers, Leonard, Gasol, Cantor, Plumley, Embiid, Gobert, they moved off. Like, it, it, it just, but, but now we see Robert Woodard go 40th. It, it was just the, the kind of disconnect between what just happened in front of us. It was, yeah. uh, that's what kind of 
uh, blew me away, but I, I didn't anticipate that going into the night. Yeah, like we see Jeremy Grant step up and become like an integral, integral, I'm sorry, force in Denver to where they're going to pay him probably close to $15 million to stay there. Yeah, he earned some money. Yeah. And you look at Robert Woodard and you go, nah, we don't need that guy. Or you look at, say, I'm trying to think of some other guys that I liked a little bit more. Um, you know, Sadiq Bay falls down to number 19. That was, that was stunning to me. Like seeing him kind of drop off the board like that. And then additionally, seeing the Nets trade out of 19 with Sadiq Bay on the board was surprising to me because Sadiq Bay is like the perfect low usage, doesn't play like an asshole, uh, smart ball mover, unselfish, doesn't care about touches kind of guy that they need next to Kyrie and Kevin Durant and a third star theoretically whenever they bring in that third star. So it was like the bubble did not happen in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which I can't remember a time like even in the 2019 draft, it seems like it seemed like to me there was a very real, a very real adjustment toward where the game was going. And it was smart. And in general, I don't think NBA teams, especially in the top half of this draft, did poorly. Out of the first 12 players off of the board this year, 11 of them were my tiers one, two, and three players, right? Like all of my top three tier guys went off the board where they were supposed to go, essentially. But I just keep coming back to what happened in the middle and latter portions of this draft, like with Charlotte taking both Vernon Carey and Nick Richards. In it, I'm just confused a little bit on. But they also they also drafted Grant Roller, so you got to kind of like yeah, balance it out a little bit, right? Like they drafted Grant, they did they did a smart thing, right? Uh, like their draft overall was so much more positive than it was negative, and I still just keep coming back to taking both Vernon Carey and Nick Richards and saying, why are you not using those picks on guys who have a chance to play in the playoffs for you? Because Vernon, Vernon yeah. Carey is not going to be able to play in the playoffs. I'm sorry. The the Sadiq thing, he, he kind of – Josh Green kind of leapfrogged him. And if you look at the teams, and, and we talked earlier too, like stuff happens so quickly that you don't really have time necessarily to process like the fit. I love the Josh Green fit to Dallas because – Yeah, so do I. They, they need an athletic wing, and I already can see the ball coming off the rim, Luca catching, turning, and throwing that like two-hand full-court chest pass to Josh Green who dunks and finishes, and then we go yep. back and do it again because Josh frankly struggles creating his own shot at times, ball handling. You don't have to do that when you have the most creative point guard probably on the planet. And yep. he wants to run. They want to play fast. They want to go up and down. So like I understand that Dallas pick there over – a guy like Sadiq Bay. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was reasonable for sure. You know, he's going to be a great transition option for Luca. They needed defense above all. And I do think Josh is a level above Sadiq Bay as a defender, especially on the ball. So I understood that. And frankly, like I had Tyler Bay as a two way guy personally. Like I'm not an enormous fan, but if any team was going to take Tyler Bay in the top 40, I understand Dallas doing it because again, another guy that will leak out in transition who Luka Doncic will find for cutters for easy baskets and who will defend or at least try to defend multiple positions. Now, Tyler Bay is like an insane athlete and I hope that the developmental staff in Dallas can work through some of his concerns 
as a on ball defender who gets like over aggressive and tries to like jump passing lanes all the time and then puts himself out of position. There's a really high caliber NBA defender in there. He's just not there yet. Yeah. And the big that. that and was- by, by the way, can, can we finish on Dallas real quick? Oh yeah. Let's go to Dallas. Because Dallas also went out and got a guy who frankly is probably going to be better than both Josh Green and Tyler Bay in Josh Richardson, right? Like I thought Josh, you were Tyrell Terry. Well, <laughs> it's like we'll he talk, set it up. Here it comes. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about Terry because I think it kind of balloons off of the decision to trade for Josh Richardson. Uh, Josh Richardson is a very high level two way wing. He got kind of pigeonholed into having to like create offense sometimes for Philadelphia because Philadelphia didn't have a half didn't have a half court point guard this year. But if you just let him play defense, knock down shots, attack closeouts, and make passes, and keep the role simplified, that is a starting caliber wing stepping in next to Luka Doncic next year, who can take on tough defensive assignments across the one through three positions and make his life easier. That, I think, for that, like, Philadelphia made some really, really good trades last night, and I don't even necessarily hate moving Josh Richardson for them, but... I think that Dallas did exceptionally well to get him plus a pick for, in my opinion, a worse player in Seth Curry, even though Seth Curry is one of the best shooters on planet Earth. And quickly, you see what the 76ers are going to value, which is shooting and more shooting, which yep. they did. Both both teams benefited there. And with the Tyrell Terry pick, slips out of the first round, even though he kind of had this late push is like a, a lottery darling dark horse so that was a, a little surprising to me too that kind of the internet narrative we had was he was he was there at like 15 18 we slipped out of the first round i was a little yeah. surprised I, I don't him. think i ever had terry in the top 20 of my mock just because nba teams i talked to were not as you, you can tell you know what i mean and nba teams sure. were not quite as enthusiastic about Terry in his frame. Having said that, I was surprised he fell out of the first round entirely. Where did you have him versus big board? I had him 20 on my big board, 21 in my mock. Uh, okay. And he goes 31. I thought it was a great pickup and it was an especially great pickup because I think the guy that he most reminds me of in the NBA is Seth Curry. I knew you were going to say that, yeah. don't really think he's a true point guard because I don't think that he has the tightness of ball handling, the ability to change uh, direction with high-level uh, reactive ball handling maneuvers, uh, and he's not really a great live dribble passer yet. He makes incredible decisions, and he keeps the ball moving, and he's going to rack up assists that way next to Luka Doncic, but he's not really like a live dribble passer in the same way that you need your lead offensive creator to be in today's NBA. So and he could and he could do both, right? So I I right. also think that he can play with Doncic and, and give him some some reps off the ball too. Right, you're getting the the 19 year old version of Seth Curry, who I think is going to be great in Philadelphia as well. Yep, but he doesn't have, and that's that's also the benefit of of kind of getting drafted a little bit later. It's not straight thrown to the fire. You're going to no. receive all this criticism if you don't produce. He's a a developmental project anyway. And now that you're there and you have enough frankly, better, older, more experienced backcourt players, his process can be slower and not as forced. Right. A hundred percent. And that's going to be very important for him as he continues to develop his frame. Uh, he is still 170 pounds and it's going to be work. He knows that it's going to be work. Like he knows that he needs to work through his frame and get stronger and get more physical. And 
we'll see what happens, right? Like we'll, we'll see where this goes with Ty Terry. Uh, but for Dallas to get Josh Richardson for Seth Curry, then draft the closest approximation to Seth Curry while also picking up an additional pick to take Tyler Bay. That was really just smart work for them. They filled needs. They filled and replaced guys that they moved and they got a starting caliber player in Josh Richardson. That, that was just awesome all around. And, you know, what, what did you think of Philadelphia on the night? Because obviously they just completely revamped everything that they did. Yeah. It was just shooting, shooting and more shooting. And then you add Maxi as well. Uh, and then I, I'm, I'm looking now oh, and also Isaiah Joe and Paul Reed. So it's kind of all over the place, but. Again, as we said, it's a, it's a retooling. It's a revamping. It's a different style. These guys fit a little bit more. Maxi doesn't necessarily fit that shooting mold as he's a 29% shooter from three. It's getting a little bit better, but will be good defensively. Can be an energy guy. I like the, the fit that he'll have there. Again, too, is not, there's not going to be this enormous pressure for him to come in and score all these points. So he'll let the game come to him a little bit. I like him as an energy guy off the bench to start. Yeah, I agree with that totally. They needed more. They just needed guys who can go out and create a shot in the backcourt. Yeah. Like last year, watching that offense was just fucking miserable at times because they didn't have a guy like Ben Simmons is really good in transition. And I think that he's best utilized as like a half court four man in the Draymond Green role in the half court where you can short roll him to, uh, you know, short roll him to pass, short roll him to take one dribble and use extension to finish around the basket. Like that's probably going to be the best move for him with Maxi, with even, even someone like Seth Curry, who's going to stretch the floor. Danny Green is not really a creator, but he's a floor spacer. They did a great job of just totally revamping the way that this roster looks, right? It's no yes. longer big bully ball. You now have a really nice creator as a guard off the bench in Tyrese Maxey. You have a guy who's an elite level shooter in Seth Curry. You have a guy who's made 40% of his threes over the course of the last eight years in Danny Green, uh, who also pairs as a very high level weak side defender who has made multiple all defense teams. So I just look at what Philadelphia did and they essentially erased all of the mistakes of the 2019 offseason in a single night and only had to give up a first, a second round pick and, uh, or a first and two second round picks to do so. It, it was very, very impressive. I thought the bully ball style, it, it's, I agree too, because it's, it's funny how in a night the whole thing changes because when Daryl Morey gets there and they're going to kind of co-manage this with Elton Brand, the the line was, well, who are you trading? Is it is it Embiid or is it Simmons? Now, with, with kind of what they've done with these moves, it really doesn't have to be either. And they can at least try this out where, all right, if you double one or the other or trap one or the other, they're going to kick it out to a shooter. Yep. And if it's not there, it's going to be shooter on the other side, drive and kick. Yep. So the, it'll just open up the game more for, I think, even Ben Simmons to create – for Joel to have less double teams, more single coverage. I like the trajectory that that kind of franchise is, is on. And not to, yeah. not to get too crazy after one draft night and they make three trades, but it fits kind of what I envisioned the, the newer look would be after the front office moves. Yeah, look – I don't think it's like, like I know that Daryl came out last night and talked about how excited he was for the Embiid Simmons pairing, right? 
And I think he should be because it's a very good twosome of young players in the NBA. If a deal for James Harden comes along and it makes sense for them and it has to involve one of those two guys, I don't know that Maury is necessarily like going to say, no, we're not doing that. Right. Like, I don't know that he's going to be against that. But what he did here was he didn't make it a necessity to where they have to move one of those guys to be competitive next year. He just revamped the roster on the fringes to make it make more sense. And on top of that, because Danny Green has one year left on his deal, Seth Curry is not particularly expensive. They picked up three guys uh, that have relatively cheap uh team control moving forward i assume isaiah joe and paul reed are probably going to be two-way guys next year but we'll see if that ends up coming to pass or if they end up getting deals they just completely became more flexible in what they can do this offseason as well they now don't have to take on money or take on assets to get rid of al horford they did that for danny green and now they're basically done and they can move forward with flexibility in how they reshape this roster. It, it was, it was very smart work. I thought from Daryl Morey, uh, not only in terms of the cap sheet, but also in terms of the way that this team looks on the floor. You're a huge Daryl Morey guy. So I, I anticipated that was going to come as well and all very stellar points. Is there, I mean, we, we covered Dallas, so I, I really like, that was one of my favorite halls from the draft. Sure. In Philadelphia. Were there any, like, I guess, fits, whether it's one guy or a pairing of guys to teams last night that you were like, that makes a lot of sense to me, that though they hit it right on the money? For, so, for yeah. me personally, I, Go I, ahead. I mean, we've talked about the, the Halliburton thing. It was also Kyra Lewis playing with Alonzo or a Bledsoe, right? Yep. Yep. Like getting, getting up and down. Who said Lonzo could play on or off the ball? He's a secondary facilitator. Kyra can play off the ball a little bit, and Lonzo's big enough to guard other places. That one seemed like it made a lot of sense to me, too. Yeah, I agree with that. I also love the idea of Kyra being able to play up tempo basketball with Zion Williamson and Jack- Jackson Hayes in the front court, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and Lonzo, it's like you kind of have like two crazy floor seeing analyzing guards with with zion and, and maybe a shooter or two like it it made sense and the other one for me was halliburton playing yeah. with sacramento with the Aaron fox with buddy healed kind of interchangeably there another guy you play those some pairing of the two at the same time it just seemed that you didn't know how far it's going to slide there was talk that he only kind of wanted to go there once he started tumbling a little bit and to to land on his feet he's going to be an electric guy from really the jump once he gets on the floor, once he gets to, to town. Like, I don't think there's going to be too long of a transition process for him to get meaningful minutes there. Yeah, I would think not. And the, the thing that struck me there is that Halliburton's a guy that just doesn't give a fuck about, like, touches, right? Like, he's going to do whatever the team needs him to do in order to make that work. Last year in Sacramento, like, Buddy Heald and Luke Walton butted heads, right? 
And Bogdan Bogdanovich was in a contract year. So he was trying to go out and put up numbers because he needs to put up numbers to go get paid. Right. And maybe he's back. Maybe he's not. We don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Bogdan will be back after. Did you guys tell him you were trading him? Yeah, we did. Sure. Okay. Yeah. After the disaster that was the Milwaukee Sacramento, uh, failed trade. Right. <laughs> By the way, if you're Ursan Ilyasova because the Bucks had to waive Ursan today because his date was today. How furious are you that you had to, you were about to have $7 million guaranteed locked in because you have to lock in that money in order to make the salary work for the sign and trade. And because there was some sort of fuck up there, Ursan Ilyasova is now not getting $7 million. He has been waived and is getting $1 million. Yeah. You got to be pissed. You leave $6 million on the table, but it's also different money for for them and for us when james harden turns down a 50 million dollar extension it's like oh I'll make it back up it's like okay <laughs> i don't <laughs> we're, know man. We're, in, we're, in di- we're in different economies here i guess well yeah we're definitely in different economies but like it feels like six million dollars is still six million dollars right <laughs> I, he, it wasn't a great text or, or email to wake up to put it that way yeah ursan's probably furious right now um but yeah like this is a team that it felt like struggled with guys trying to do their own thing last year. So Halliburton not only fits from a positional standpoint next to De'Aaron Fox and next to uh, Buddy Heald, but he also fits from that unselfishness standpoint in that he'll put those guys in the best possible position to succeed. And he's going to affect winning at a really high level, I think, for them. Totally culture guy, USA basketball guy. You yep. can't find a, a negative report or review from him, for whether it's coaches, guys who coached against him when he's working out in Vegas during the the pre-draft stuff putting him in that locker room has an infectious personality it's going to work yeah i think so too uh the other fit in the lottery that i liked was Okoro to cleveland uh my number five player on the board they take him at five and he's everything that they need he is a super high level defender super professional character uh really tough physical this was a team that over the last two years has had by far the worst defense in the NBA. And there's a very real case that over the last two years, Cleveland has had the worst defense in NBA history over a two-year period. They desperately needed to go out and get a guy who can provide defensive value for them from the jump. And you know what? I think Isaac Okoro is going to be able to do that from day one at the NBA level. I think he's a starter almost immediately for them. And he's also going to be able to help Colin Sexton with some secondary playmaking ability because he's a really, really, really strong underrated passer as well. A guy that can break down defenses, read the second level and make a pass. Uh, maybe break down defenses is strong because he is a straight line driver for the most part, but he's good at maneuvering once he picks up the ball, creating an angle to finish or creating an angle for a pass. I'm very high on Okoro. I think in our mock draft, he went fourth and then I took Patrick Williams fifth. I'm just saying that and, and pausing for my, my brief victory lap here that he ended up going that high. Uh, Pat but Williams. for, <laughs> uh, so for Okoro though, a lot of places had kind of, earmarked will be top in there and and while i think that could have worked defensively like you said it's not as as good of a match he's going to be able to help when guys get beat off the dribble too by stunting stepping into the lane taking charges rebounding boxing out i like him as a as a culture pick too the best part was still bruce pearl in like some abandoned parking lot giving like a pro wrestling promo about how culture wins i'm like this is just perfect this is absolutely perfect 
What in the world was that? I, I don't. I don't know. Like I, I was sending a tweet or something, and I, I heard him talking, and I just look up. And I'm like, like, where is he? Like, what? Like, what quality cell phone is this? There's like a street light behind him. He's wearing. <laughs> it, it was. It was uh, perfect. And, and it, it, it's true. It rings true. Culture wins. A core will be great there. I was just like totally flabbergasted it was a, a night of weird draft stuff and that was just like part of the beginning of buckle up it's gonna get weirder as we go on yeah that was a moment where i wasn't watching it live because as you and i talked about on the last podcast i don't really watch the draft but immediately i was like okay bruce pearl's apparently in some sort of wind tunnel right now i have to find <laughs> this clip yeah. it exceeded expectations like yeah what in the world was bruce pearl yeah part like, part he, he was like an amateur weatherman you know you're the weather channel like yeah next to the ocean the the water's fly-. like yeah dude we know the water's flying off it's a storm back up <laughs> oh my god i went to bat for it. his guy the, the other one i really liked was uh denny Adija being in like what appeared to be a wine bar I'm like i'm in on this guy now i learned early in the day that he picked up most of his english playing call of duty the video game yeah. and he gets drafted at a wine bar i'm like this is gonna work yeah, Throw Denny. with John Wall or Westbrook and Beal in, in Washington. It's going to work. Yeah. How pissed do you think uh, Greg Popovich is that he didn't get to 11 with all of that wine bar behind him? <laughs> like Greg probably would have gotten connection. on a probably would have gotten on a private jet immediately and flown to that wine bar if Denny would have lasted until 11. He was probably like texting Denny immediately. He was like, "Look, you you have two more picks to go. If you get to 11, we're taking you, and I'm flying there, and we're having a nice little nice little sit down." He- that it was either bar. that or the critique of like, there's way too many balls in Merlot here. We gotta, we gotta up this ante. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Then he made a lot of sense for Washington. I thought just take the best guy at that point. And I thought that he was the best guy on the board. Uh, just kind of looking through here. I mean, we still haven't talked about, I feel like we've run through a lot and we still have yet to speak about really LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman, right? Yeah. I wasn't. We all kind of found out, I wouldn't say simultaneously, but in the, the, I'd say maybe 48 hours, 72 hours before the draft that Anthony Edwards is probably the guy at number one. And then if you, you go back now and you, you read the articles that are slowly trickling out that Minnesota kind of at least forward facing and saying he was always their guy that did the research and they went out to Malibu and met him and went out to dinner. And despite the red flags, perceived red flags, however you want to call it, they said he really opened up in that process and knows that he's got work to do, but he was supremely talented. He was a top guy on the board. They said he was head and shoulders above everybody else. And because of that, he went first. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like I'm trying to sell you like a, a Chrysler or something, but that's I mean, <laughs> that was my takeaway. <laughs> trying to sell you a Chrysler. Oh, God. Well, it, it was a it was an interesting split. I know you don't watch the draft, but but he's there with kind of a, a smaller crew. And same with James Wiseman. Then, like, the ball household is just, like, bananas. Just people everywhere. And it, it was funny to see the, the dueling, contrasting images between the top three. By the way, apparently the state of California just went into a lockdown. And uh, M-Grads on Twitter. Shout out, M-Grads. We... We enjoy Marcus here. Um, just they're out of toilet paper everywhere <laughs> in California. Uh, I, uh, yeah, we went through that here in Massachusetts for a while. It was, it was dire. It was <laughs> you go to multiple grocery stores hoping to find paper towels or, or toilet paper. So 
we stockpiled all the stuff in the basement. I could last about a week. There's like eight cans of Chef Boyardee and some paper products. Not prepared for the apocalypse. So I'm I'm hoping this pod goes a little bit longer. Well, or shorter. You might have to make a trip out. Yeah, that's true. Your... I might have to make a move. Yeah. Uh, so you you had you had Lamelo. I had Lamelo as as I my did. number one on the board. Is is that the pick that you would have made? Would you have gone Anthony because of the fit? With D'Lo, would you have still said LaMelo or make it work? It, it's kind of come out that James Wiseman said he didn't talk to Minnesota. He didn't want to go right. to Minnesota. It's probably a, a two-guy draft. I mean, Patrick Williams flew up boards. I, I don't think he was probably in that conversation, so it was Ant or LaMelo. So, I mean, I will tell you, I was told that the Timberwolves liked both Tyrese Halliburton and Isaac Okoro as well. Uh, I don't think that they were ever really in the mix at number one necessarily, but they liked both of those guys. Um in general, oh man, it's, it's, I think that my, I would have traded down and I think that my price point would have been much lower in a trade down than what it ended up being for Minnesota at the end of the day. And that's fine. Uh, Minnesota who, decided. Who are the real buyers though? I apologize for cutting you off, but like, that, no, no, I no. agree. I would have tried to trade down, but like, who's, who's the team that's like, we need to get to number one. I don't, I'm honestly not sure, but if I would have received even a protected first round pick to move down to like number four, even just even like a top 10 protected first, I probably would have done it. And I can't imagine that that offer wasn't on the board for them. I I would be honestly pretty stunned if that offer wasn't on the board, uh, I would have taken a Miles Bridges and number three for number one. And maybe that wasn't on the board because mm, yeah. Charlotte I, likes I Miles Bridges. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe, you know, I, I just think that there are enough, there were enough teams there that probably had interest in moving up to number one. Charlotte, I think would have liked James Wiseman as well that I would have made that move, I guess period. Like I I would have, whatever the best offer would have been, I would have taken it because I I just don't have enough faith uh, in that at the end of the day. Yeah. It makes sense. I I would have taken it as well, but sometimes you have to play with the hand you're dealt as they tell you. I mean, I really like now with the unfortunate Clay Thompson news that came out and we didn't really have all the info. I don't know how much scrambling was done by golden state to maybe be like, okay, we got to take another guard, another wing. Maybe we take Lamelo at two now instead of Wiseman. I I actually like the the Wiseman fit at Golden State. Now they're kind of being active on the market with Kelly Oubre, so they've kind of filled their holes in in different ways. Yeah, for sure. And shout out to Golden State uh, for deciding to spend money right now. Theoretically, it looks like with Kelly Oubre uh, going there, it's going to cost quite a bit of money. I think that the 80 million number that Bobby Marks is throwing around is going to end up being considerably lower because there's going to be much less basketball related income and they're adjusting the luxury tax payments down from based on the BRI is the way to put it. So I am not uh, someone that is going to complain about owners spending money whenever it doesn't actually impact their long-term flexibility. 
Kelly Oubre is on a one-year deal. If the owners are willing to spend an exorbitant amount of tax that doesn't actually impact their ability to fix their team down the road if it doesn't work, why why would anyone complain about that? It's literally just money out of Joe Lacob's pocket at the end. So you're in on it, the move, to be clear. Yeah, like, what? what's... Why, why not? Right? Like, if, if the Lakobs, if the ownership group is willing to put forward that money, sure, I'm in. Let's do it. Right? Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, it's not my money. It's like people get, always get mad around here about how much the Red Sox used to spend. It's like, okay, well, it's not like our tax money. Like, relax. Like, they want to spend it, spend it. Right. And then now you see the antithesis of that with, Mookie Betts. Don't being say Mookie Betts. Jesus. I, I walked into that. I set the you bear did. trap and then walked right into it. Yeah. This, this is your fault. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This, no, this is, this is getting the 16 ounce Red Bull yesterday by accident instead of 12 ounce and now it's like wearing <laughs> off and it's just, I'm walking into landmines left and right. Me, me mentioning Mookie Betts is going to send you down a rabbit hole of Coors Light <laughs> yeah, tonight. Yeah. It's not going to be good later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Coors Light. Shout out Coors Light. Good sponsor of the Game Theory podcast. Uh, we should talk about where Golden State goes from here as well because clay thompson is out for the year it looks like has a torn achilles uh you know you you just always hope that when you get that initial call that that's not what the injury is but man it it just sucks It, it sucks that this is where we're at with clay thompson that it looks like he is going to miss the entirety of next season. Like I, I really, it's, it sucks. Like I, I wanted to see the Splash Brothers next year go out and have one of those runs like they were so regularly doing where they just knocked down like seven threes in a quarter between the two of them. And it's just unstoppable. And plus like James Wiseman was only going to create further space for them behind the line because you really have to account for James Wiseman as a roller toward the basket. Like, Mm. man, like, can can you imagine like James Wiseman setting like a drag screen in transition for Stephen Curry and that man has to roll with James Wiseman because if he doesn't, it's a dunk and Steph will hit him right on the money for a dunk. But if he roll, if he doesn't roll with James Wiseman and you have even the slightest breakdown defensively, Stephen Curry has that lightning quick twitch release to be able to get one up. And we're still going to see that, but it's going to be a little bit different without Clay out there. Right. And Wiseman would have had to me some of those games where he has yep. 20, 30 points just because pick your poison. Like, what do you want to do? Want to, want to let him go? One on one rolls. Do you want to not close out to, to Curry or Clay Thompson? And you saw more today than last night because people didn't know definitively what it was, but the outpouring of support from the basketball community for Clay, it just shows how, how well he's liked. And this is both players and media, frankly, just saying what a great guy he was. He's a hoop junkie. It's terrible. He's out for another year. Yep. So Golden State, I mean, they moved quickly. They signed Kelly. They, drafted Wiseman and also Nico Mannion. So it's ironic a little bit in that a few years ago, James Wiseman and Nico Mannion were both campers at Steph Curry elite camp and Steph retweeted it or put it out yesterday. It's pretty funny. And I think that for Nico playing for a coach like Steve Kerr in that type of system is also a good fit. I mean, their, their other pick was Justinian Jessup. I don't think we'll be seeing necessarily right away. But we are not. Wiseman, I will be seeing yeah. him because he's right here. He's in my backyard. Yeah, he's down the street. Yeah, he's quarantined reading a book or something. That is accurate. Shout out Justinian Jessup, man. Shut up, Justinian. Yeah. But I, I liked Wiseman. It, it, I'd like it a lot more if you to what you're saying. It was Clay Thompson on the other wing, but it, it fits for me. I, I liked him there. I kind of earmarked him as, as being two Warriors for a long time. So, 
Yeah, and I think it's worth us moving back to Minnesota briefly, if only because they ended the night with you know quite a few different guys here. They end it with Anthony Edwards at the top, obviously, who has a tremendous upside, I should say, by the way. Like I'm I feel like I'm slightly lower than the consensus on Anthony Edwards, but that doesn't mean I am out on Anthony Edwards becoming a very high level NBA player. Uh otherwise I wouldn't have had him at number three on my board. Now, they also go out and they have a reunion with Ricky Rubio, which is fantastic and fun. They go out. They have a few different like little minor moves that they make to kind of jump around the draft board late. Uh, they had 17 originally. They moved back to 25 and 28. They moved up once to get Leandro Bomaro and they end it with Anthony Edwards, Leandro Bomaro with Jaden McDaniels, who's a nice little upside player. I actually mocked Jaden McDaniels to Minnesota at number 17 uh, in my final mock draft. So I knew that they liked him. And they also end up with Ricky Rubio. Like that's a win overall. That's a, that's a pretty solid night for them. Uh, it doesn't help them win now. I don't think Bulmaro's a stash. McDaniels and Edwards are project E, right? But Ricky Rubio might be able to help them now, and maybe that's where they derive some of the value that you expect from a rookie class. Did they extend a qualifying offer to Beasley today? I believe that they did. I know that they extended a qualifying offer to Wancho Hernan Gomez. Okay. And I, I like Jaden McDaniels a lot. I mean, he was kind of all over boards. He was mocked some places as high as, I'd say, I don't know, 12 to 14-ish. Some people had him right outside the second round. To get him at 28, a kid who was a top five recruit coming out of high school, obviously had ups and downs at Washington. But I like him there, too, because whereas Wiseman doesn't necessarily fit with that crew with Cat, I like him as a stretch 3-4, 4-3, whatever it may be, yeah. getting some minutes there alongside him. Yeah, no, I think that that's definitely right. Uh, I think that that's a much better fit positionally. And they need a guy who can go get buckets, right? And both Bulmaro and McDaniels, if they hit right, you know, if they hit on one of Bulmaro or McDaniels, I think they're going to be very, very happy. Like they are going to be ecstatic because both of those guys have the kind of upsides to where if it works, they are starters. And if they get one starter out of those two picks, it's an enormous win for them. If you get one starter between the 23rd and 28th pick, you got to be pretty happy with D'Angelo no Russell, with Carlin City Towns, with the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, I think that Minnesota, I didn't write about them really in my uh, big wrap-up thing other than to talk about Anthony Edwards. In part, it was because, and you know, this is something I texted my editor immediately after last night because my role was to essentially just break down players yesterday. It was not to talk about like what player is going where and the team fit. That was my good friend, John Hollinger, right? Within our draft tracker. So (laughs) I realized by the time that the draft ended, I didn't know what teams drafted what players. Like, I didn't know who played for who now. I had no idea that Xavier Tillman was a Memphis Grizzly. At oh, the end you of knew because you drafted for them, but for the other guys, yeah, you weren't entirely yeah, sure. Yeah, this is, this is just a, this is just me being quiet. I'm this definitely the drafting oh, for the Memphis, Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah. I'm definitely drafting for the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, the, Robert Woodard, like in the same deal, right? Like I had no idea Robert Woodard got drafted by the Sacramento Kings. I had no idea that Leandro Bomaro, uh, moved around seemingly a couple of times, uh, over the course of the night, right? So 
like Yudoka Azubuke, the only reason I knew that Yudoka Azubuke went to Utah was because I mocked Yudoka Azubuke to Utah because I knew that it was a thing that was happening. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating deal where in the middle of the draft, you don't really actually know what's happening in the draft, even if you're uh, an expert. And by the way, in like, I guess I, I, that's kind of a dickhead thing for me to say, like as an expert, um, but like <laughs> the best and I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like you talk to NBA teams and like people who are on the phones, like, you know, general managers, assistant general managers, uh, you know, executives that work in front offices. They're kind of in the same boat a lot of the time. Like they're keeping track of who goes off the board because they need to adjust their board. But like, they don't really know who goes where at the end of the day because they're just constantly calling and constantly trying to figure out where all of these uh, potential trade talks are going. Yeah, they got to process it just like like we're doing the same processing. That's why I'd like to, as, as we kind of pivot off Minnesota a little bit, it was funny to me that Precious Achua ended up with the heat yeah. because he kind of had that like bam light tag with him and like prior to the draft i kind of fired up i don't know say 12 or 15 tweets just as a guy's picked hit send just you don't have to even think about it the precious one ironically what i wrote was one of the more polarizing prospects in the draft has a real role if he embraces trying to be bam out of bio and not jimmy butler and here we are like he's he's on the team and he gets to be his understudy what do we think the odds are that he embraces being Bam Adebayo and not Jimmy Butler. Hmm. I don't know. With Pat Riley there, I think I think it's going to be on the the Bam trajectory. He can do a little bit both. I mean, he's not Jimmy Butler, but he doesn't have to be full Bam. It's like Bam light. I like to say. No, I think you're right. I think he's going to be fine. To be honest, uh, it's a great I think, situation I think, for him. I think Dwayne, Dwayne Wade called them Baby Bam after the draft. Baby Bam. I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Uh, I don't know. Do we have anyone else that we really, truly want to discuss here? Uh, there's one team that I want to finish with, but if there's no one else you want to talk about, I guess that we can specifically. Just no, I, I just have a funny, a, a few funny, uh, draft potpourri moments at the, at the end. But for team specifically, I, I defer to you on that. So let, let's finish with your Boston Celtics, right? Okay. What did you think of the Boston draft? Because there has been seemingly a lot of angst from the fan base in regard to this draft. We are angsty at baseline. Let's get that established. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I didn't know the way the picks fell. It's not like we are. It, uh, we, we are. We are. I gotta embrace who we are to our inner core. It wasn't like Tyrese Halliburton was on the board. It wasn't like. Killian Hayes had slid there, which there was sure. kind of some rumblings could have happened. One of those guys was like, draft it, do it, go. So when it got to 14, I thought they would probably go Precious. I was surprised that went Naismith. I, I get it from a shooting perspective. I, I hope the the foot stuff isn't as bad as it's made out to be. I was more surprised at 26 with Peyton Pritchard because we, well, we had talked about a little bit before, and I don't know if it's the Celtics necessarily – there were some rumblings that he had a promise somewhere in the first round, which seemed ambitious just because he had been more, I, I don't have your big board in front of me. I'm guessing 30-ish range, late 30s. Yeah, 35, something like that for Peyton. So, yeah. yeah so and I, I don't like Peyton. Like, I don't mean to, yeah. that's not disparaging. And I think he is a real shot to be all. a great backup point guard. And if, if that was the role that they 
definitively wanted to fill as a, a backup point guard, a four-year guy, score, gritty, steps in and do it. Fine. Cool with it. I was just more surprised that it was at 26. I was rooting a little bit. Can RJ keep sliding who it was talked about at one point? They loved him at 14 and they clearly valued Nace with more. They took him there. Uh, I liked this morning, maybe it was last night. I listened to Danny Ainge's press conference and just said, it's hard for rookies to get on the floor if they don't play defense. He's good. He gets a block a game, steal a game. He'll get there. He can outshoot most of the guys on the team right now. Tatum may have something to say about that. And when Naismith spoke, one of the things that's become like a headline that everyone's writing about is he said, I'm an absolute sniper. So someone who believes in their ability that much to say that, conference one with the media, I, I like having a guy like that on board, albeit it was a little surprising for me. Yeah, every uh, – it wasn't surprising to me, I guess, because they tend to like these big wings, right? Like this is this is what Boston does at the end of the day. They take big wings. They do, and I, I thought maybe it would be – Sadiq, I mean, he went, what, like five picks later? I just sure, hadn't yeah. seen seen as much buzz. I mean, maybe they just kept it closer to the vest than most. Yeah. Uh, doesn't, yeah, I wasn't totally stunned by Naismith. I think it's a fine pick. I had Naismith at 17. I think he fits perfectly there. It's, I, I probably would have done something different, I guess, but I have no problem with them taking Aaron Naismith there. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, again, wouldn't have been my pick. I would have taken Trey Jones. I would have taken Malachi Flynn. Like, yeah, I, I thought Malachi taken, was going to be your guy. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I would have taken plenty of others, but that's not to say that Peyton Pritchard isn't very close to those guys. He is very, very close to those guys in terms of his ability. So I don't know, man. Like I, I think it was a fine draft, and I'm I'm surprised that they're getting as much pushback from the fan base as they are now like the gordon hayward thing has gone down where he is declining this option and almost assuredly is going to sign a longer term deal somewhere else and i don't know man like that that seems like a bigger deal to me than the nba draft getting two guys that went basically right where they were supposed to go to your team and Celtics fans will say that. They also complain there's no bench scoring. If Naismith comes off the bench and provides a little bit of that, obviously a huge boost. Yeah. The, uh, some, the amount some of the p- that like he is going – because he's essentially going to slide into the Shimmy Ojale role immediately, right? Right. And and there's always been already been talk of like, okay, well, if they go small and, and Jalen Brown plays the, the four and you kind of put Tatum at the two, three, him at the two, three, like maybe make it work on the floor at the same time. The – more Pritchard pushback has been, if you look at the makeup of their roster, they do have some decisions to make guard-wise. And is he definitively different than a guy like Tremont Waters, who I think they just qual- sent a qualifying offer to like when we're on the air? Yeah, and they declined the qualifying offer on Brad Wanamaker. So like, right. they're reshaping their backcourt. They have Romeo Langford, who I think that they think can be – not necessarily like a lead creator, but can be a wing that can create offense for them off the bounce. Uh, they have Tremont Waters, who played really, really well in the G League last year and looks like a solid backup point guard. They have Peyton Pritchard. Look, it might take a year for these guys to get ready, but you know what the good thing about Boston is? They've got a year. They have the two most valuable things you can have in the NBA locked down under contract for four years or longer in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You have those two as your centerpieces. Everything else can fall into place from there. 
Like you can make it work a number of different ways when you have two elite level two way wings as your core. Yes, that, that's a good stamp. The playoffs just I, I, people are gonna say you're obsessed with the bubble. Just going back to the bubble, I the thought bubble. maybe it could have been pre- it could have been precious just because closer type stuff if they were worried defensively. But uh, you need scoring. Get a pick one or the other, and, and that's what they they valued there. And and Naismith's got a chance. I mean, a lot of people liked him. He didn't. His numbers are deceiving because he he played mostly non conference guys, but shoots the ball really well. He's got a good backstory as a worker. Yep. He's motivated to get better. He's saying yep. the right things. Wants to be in a good culture. He, he hit all of, like the the check marks uh, to get Boston fans excited if they weren't of knowing the team. And I'm excited to play with with Tatum and with Jalen Brown. So he, he's figuring out pretty quickly. Yeah, very smart, very self confident kid. You don't have to worry about him off the court, and he's going to keep working his ass off, and he's going to be confident when he gets the ball. In tough spots, like Shemi Ojale just never shot because he wasn't confident in the jump shot. You replace Shemi Ojale to start his career with Aaron Naismith. You're going to see a significant bump in offensive efficiency just through the shooting, like in the floor spacing that he's going to derive. Like, I think that's like a multi-point bump from the fifth guy that's on your court. Uh, that you're like your fifth option. And that's an enormous thing. Like not having a record scratch guy who's going to fuck up the flow of the offense <laughs> is huge. Record scratch. It's so good. It's, but it is like, it's important. It's really, really important to be able to have that guy who can make that play and knock down a shot whenever he's presented with the ability to knock down a shot. So I liked it for Boston at Naismith. Like I'm a little bit more skeptical of Peyton Pritchard, but I liked it a lot to go get Aaron Naismith at number 14. Uh, what are some of your odds and ends? You had some fun ones that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, just a couple quick ones. So Cole Anthony goes 15 to the Orlando Magic. He played on the Nike EYBL with the PSA Cardinals with Mo Bamba. Cole gets drafted and Mo Bamba tweets to Cole, once you stop crying, I'll pick you up from the airport. Let's work. I got a good kick out of that. I thought it was- Love it. Yeah. That's fantastic. We love, uh, we love good stories like that with Mo Bamba and Cole Anthony and guys that get to play again together after the AAU circuit. Like there should be some nice little chemistry there. Maybe Cole Anthony is the guy that can unlock Muhammad Bamba going forward. Teammates. They know each other well. And then my, yeah. my other one that I, that I liked was one of your favorite sleepers, Mason Jones, who went sure. undrafted last night. He had a tweet today. Did you see it? No, but do I want to know? Yep. So he had said, "You, you." I didn't know this. You told me in interviews he had said that he was his ambition was to be an NBA All Star, right? Yep. So I'm scrolling today, and uh, he said Houston. He just signed two with Houston. Houston just got the best player in the draft. <laughs> I love Mason Jones. I love it. I lo- you, you said don't bet against him, and last time we did, a chair exploded in my room. So I'm not going to bet against him either. Yeah, that's right. Don't don't you dare. Don't you dare bet against Mason Jones. And, oh, my God. And, and I didn't even – this is a fantastic segue talking about betting. I don't know if that's one of our sponsors this week. But uh, rookie of the year odds. Ooh, let's do that. Let's close with that because that will be fun. Let's close with that. So do you want me to like rattle off the top five or do you want to like say a guy and, and I'll say what the line is? Um, Do you know the lines? I have it, yeah. Okay. I know a couple of them, but this will be fun. So this yeah. is from F- I'll F- guess Sports what the lines Blog. are. Yeah. Okay. They're all uh, just to give a 
a, a little bit of a clue. They're all plus numbers, and it's not – they're all pretty high. It's not like plus 150. Like, the, we, we go off the reservation pretty quickly. Right. All right, so fire away. Who's your favorite? So I, I know who the favorite is. I know it's LaMelo Ball. Uh, Correct. I think that that's the right call, first and foremost. Uh, he is, I think, four to one. Is that right? Yeah, basically. So he's plus 390. Yeah. So LaMelo is, to me, the favorite as well. I think he's going to put up like... 15, 5, and 5 next year, probably. Maybe 15, 8, and 5, with the 8 being the assist number, just because he's going to get the opportunity at the end of the day. Yeah, that's how I feel about Obi Toppin, who's actually second at plus 750. Yep. Just already seasoned, I think, with his body, it's not going to be as big as an adjustment offensively to the NBA. The defense stuff might may, may lag a little bit, but he's going to have scoring opportunities and he's going to put up numbers early so he would kind of be my pick at at plus 750 he's not the uh he's not the second favorite though is he i thought he was like fourth or fifth uh no he's fourth he's fourth yeah. I'm sorry um all right just yell out names and i'll guess the line in terms of what they are uh anthony edwards i think it's like plus 500 pretty good plus 480 yeah i saw that one too so Okay, so you're cheating. Good. No, that, that uh, one is cheating. Throw, those are the only ones that I know. Okay. I'll throw out a couple random ones. Let's do Denny Abdia. Oh, 12 to 1? Plus 1,400. Not bad. Pretty close. Yeah. Uh, let's go. I don't Josh mind that Green. number, but I don't, no, I don't, I don't love it. No, I don't either. not bad. Yeah, I would not bet Don, Denny Abdia there. Josh Green? I don't Green. think so either. Just, ba- just based on the guards that he has, too, I don't know necessarily what his scoring will be. Yeah. No, for sure. Josh Green, you said? Yeah. We're, oh, that's we're gotta, up there climbing now. That's got to be like 75 to 1. Plus 5,500. So 55 to 1. Yeah, that's that, that might be too low. I would not bet the Josh Green number. <laughs> All right. We'll do, we'll do two more here. Killian Hayes. Killian Hayes is a sneaky one. Yep. If he's over 15 to 1, I would bet that. No, a little lower. Plus 950. He's plus 950. Okay. So that's, that's a yeah. good line then. Um, yeah. I still might bet that. That's nine to one, nine and a half to one. If it climbs over like 11 or 12 at some point, I would definitely bet that. Yeah, it's not bad. And then our, our, our fastest riser, Patrick Williams. I mean, it's gotta be like 15 to one. Yeah. Plus 2000. Yeah. yeah like there's no, I mean, it, what is his, I don't know if he has a pathway to minutes immediately. Right. Well, I think the line kind of reflects that though, too. He's whatever, eighth or ninth. Yeah. Favorite. Yeah. No, that's right. What is uh, what is James Wiseman? Wiseman's like third. He's plus four eighty. Yeah. Okay. That's reasonable. Yeah. It's, it the it goes Lamelo and Edwards, Wiseman, Toppin, Hayes, Abdia are your top six. Where's Okoro? Okoro is plus twenty four hundred. He's like twelfth. I like that number quite a bit because I, I just think he's okay. going to play at the end of the you day. You like a lot of these numbers though. You're going to run out of money here. Yeah, but like they're small bets. Like you, if you're betting, you know, 10 to one, you're putting down like $30 trying to win 300, right? right? Like you're putting down it's the draft for a Coro. Like the, the, the prop odds. Yeah. Yeah. Like 100 like for, bucks max. For a Coro, you're putting down 20 bucks and hoping that you win 500, right? Right. Have I ever told you about hitting a Luka Doncic prop uh, a couple years ago? I love it. Go on. So pre draft, even there were rookie of the year odds. I had no idea where Luka was going to go. And I don't know if someone made a fuck up, but someone listed Luka Doncic at 25 to 1. 
that was like a slip, probably. You know, it's it probably, to probably supposed slip. to be like three and somebody fell asleep on the keyboard. Right. It was probably supposed to be two and a half to one. Instead, it was 25. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it was a low max bet. It was on, like the max bet was only like 30 bucks, unfortunately, but just like immediate, immediate max bet. <laughs> like I debated free, opening free money, like, as I say. five accounts. I only did one, but I debated opening like five accounts. I was like, yes, Luka Doncic, let's do this. I'm in. Allegedly five accounts. I think that's illegal, but yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I did not do that. I want to be very clear. Like <laughs> yeah. I couldn't actually tell you. I we did, did not, not do that. that. Yeah. I don't support that. Yeah. Um, it's not even that I don't support it. Just didn't do it. <laughs> uh, oh my God. What did Rudy Giuliani do today? There was a press conference I saw. There were some interesting photos. I, I don't want to go political beyond that. What a, what a legend. What a, we'll, we'll leave it at legend. Let, let Rudy, me ask you this. Rudy, hold on real quick. Rudy Giuliani yeah. <laughs> is consistently the person I derive enjoyment from the most on this planet, like among the content that I consume. Like I, I watch, like we're rewatching Veep right now, me and my wife. And I think that I laugh harder at the things that Rudy Giuliani does in real life than I do at anything that happens in Veep. And I am very thankful for Rudy's existence as long as he doesn't steal the election uh, over the course of the next month. <laughs> It is sort of like a Veep times Kerber enthusiasm crossover right now. There's some yes. moments it's like that's not that's not real. Oh, actually, no, it's very real. No, no, he really did hold a press conference uh, outside of a landscaping and construction company because it was called the Four Seasons. All seasons represented. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What did you want to finish with? Uh, so you're. It feels. The draft is over. It feels like the end of summer camp a little bit, I would say. It's like you got to go back home and go back to regular school and watch college games, whatever. And I just, I got a kick out of reading the end of your write-up, yeah. wrap-up of last night. And it, it felt very poignant, very poetic. And I just, it encapsulates where I envisioned your brain being at the time. So just writing about Pokashevsky, all he represents is hope for the franchise that selected him and the fans who want that franchise to succeed. And if we don't have hope as fans of basketball or as people who walk this earth, what do we have? It's true. It's yeah. absolutely. It's why I love the draft. It's Poetic, genuinely the draft. Just going back to flowery English. It's beautiful. It's genuinely why I love writing about and talking about the NBA draft. It's because you can just think about these kids positively. They have everything ahead of them. Like, look, I do my fair share of, you know, breaking these kids down and looking for flaws and things like that. But at the end of the day, like we, we want these kids to succeed. Like we want them to have the best careers possible. And as fans of teams, most of the fans haven't seen these kids enough. So they just hope that their teams have made the right decisions. I love the NBA draft because the NBA draft is genuinely an event that it's the most hopeful event every single night of the year. Every single night of the basketball calendar, the NBA draft, you see kids see their dreams come true. You see teams uh, hope that these kids get better. You see fans put all of their hopes into these kids. And sometimes that's not fair to the people involved and the stakeholders involved, and especially the teenagers and early 20-year-old kids. But it's done in a positive way a lot of the time. And yeah, I really, really love what I do because of it. I love, uh, I love being able to do something that is as positive as this 
often is and get to experience something that is as positive and as hopeful as this often is. It's the best part of the process is just watching my my quick 15 seconds is yeah and you start this process way earlier than i do exactly with these kids. so so you know you know the characters you know the the parents the coaches the people around the situation you've seen kids get better kids get worse you've seen the narrative of this kid's the top player in the country not work out and then unranked kid flips it around but to be able to watch these guys really reach the beginning of a, a long journey, but kind of like the halfway point of all their amateurism stuff up to, up to now. And to be able to, I know you don't watch the draft, but to see their, their families and, and parents and friends and people react to it. And last night, as talked earlier, it seemed like a lot more criers this year, just with the emotion of it. And I was talking about the office today. I don't know if it was because it was a virtual draft and people are really at home with their inner circles and looking at the pictures at the wall and, the fabric of their house and their home and their communities and, and be able to make it. So it's uh yeah, not to get too emotional, long windy, but it's a, it's a fun night to, to watch, especially for the people in the grassroots space of watch it unfold really since the kids were as young as whatever, 10, 12, 14 years old. No, I'm actually in on the sentiment when it comes to this, like the sentiment for me is real. And, uh, the sentiment from everyone involved, from the people getting drafted to the people making the decisions to, uh, the scouts that are involved in the process to the fans who then stick their hopes onto these kids. It's, it's the best part for me every year. Uh, I worked for 19 hours yesterday and by the time that 11 o'clock rolled around in Melbourne, I thought that I could have started writing my 2021 big board immediately. Let's go. Yeah, like, we'll get back in it. I was. I was ready to like, and that was after 12 hours without coffee. Like I was ready to really just dive back into it. I, I love the process so much. It, it's the scene in the movie where the movie ends, they roll credits. and There's like one more scene of like, Oh, maybe there is a sequel. Like here's an Easter egg. So that's where right. we are. Yeah. Uh, all right, Penny, tell the people where, where they can find you. I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. Obviously, this draft is done, but looking forward to getting into 2021 prospects very shortly. All right. I uh, I have like 90 stories up at The Athletic, so go go read them. We did a story for most of the first round picks. We did uh, a big tracker yesterday for the NBA draft in the middle of it with John Hollinger and I. We did... Or I did a big write-up as well uh, at the end that you should all go read. It's the write-up that Penny just so uh, kindly pulled uh, the end of my story. So uh, I will be back next week to talk about the 2021 draft. And I will probably back be back at some point early next week to talk about the offseason because the offseason starts Saturday, Matt. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to have time to do shit until then, but I'm probably going to try and take the weekend off, even though the off season starts and I will just pay attention to what happens from there. Yeah. No rest for weary. Good luck. I mean, since we've done this, there's been 14 signings, so we got to catch up. Yeah. Good Lord. Uh, all right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please leave a rating, a review, a subscription, whatever you do to support the podcast. Go subscribe to The Athletic as well. We will be back later next week, but until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.